over the past few months, we've seen a massive shift in terms of how um, digital working is, happens in primary care, both from clinicians and patients' perspective. Obviously, a lot of this is down to COVID. And actually, many people are wanting to know how this can work more effectively. And with that comes video consultation has been obviously the key thing that many people have had their attention on. But then there's this whole concept of patients recording consultations and how this may work. And particularly with the, you know, the anxieties of more clinicians using digital methods, how might this work and things. So um, the BMA released um, a, a document quite recently. Um, so this was the patients recording consultations um, document. So 9th of July it came out. Um, there have been similar sort of kind of things over the past few years and other companies have provided this kind of information. So the indemnity companies clearly have been providing lots of information about this as well. But effectively, this was one produced by the BMA to help guide patients and clinicians to understand the, the aspects of patients recording consultations. Um, the first thing I would like to say is that patients have the absolute right to record their consultations um, and this can have some real benefits um, we've often seen this in primary care and, and that's the first thing that the document actually talks about it talks about the benefits so in terms of helping patients to understand and remember the consultations they've had particularly as it mentions about language barriers and you can understand this for patients that have particularly partial understanding of English being able to um, replay their consultation back either to themselves or to family members to help explain various aspects can be a really powerful tool and improve things like compliance with medications, attendance at tests, engagement referrals, and just general healthy living and things. It can help to provide a copy of the documentation with patients so that they can understand things better in the longer run and also give them time to process those kind of information. And I think overall, it's generally a positive thing. Um, the question always comes about this is whether or not patients can record a consultation without the doctor's consent. Because what you would hope is that patients normally ask for the consent to do so. Um, and the, the, I think the thing that surprises many clinicians is that technically, patients do not need a doctor's consent to record the consultation. Now, this may sound surprising, and to many, this actually feels like an affront to their human rights, actually, to do so. But because this is a record of the consultation, for that reason, is considered that patients can do this. Now, clearly, many clinicians would feel that that's a break in their trust. And I think that is something that needs to be recognised, that if a patient wants to record a clinician without their consent and not informing them that they're doing so, that there is definitely an element of how much trust is within that communication that consultation is happening um, but as, as it states you know on, on the document that actually that they don't patients do not need consent of the clinician to do a recording when it comes to third parties so other people being involved there is that element of also understanding what is happening um, so for example this is people recording I, I guess things like the waiting area um, insidiously recording other people's consultations that can and has unfortunately happened so that's something to be aware of but I guess other people, when we're doing video consultations in particular, recording on their devices and stuff, there is that element of being cautious. And that's one of the reasons that why when you do things like telephone and video consultations, particularly with a patient's obviously not in a controlled environment like the practice, that you are doing those simple steps like ID checks and privacy checks and checking who else is also around at the time, because this is clearly relevant in this situation. 
if a patient was to ask to recall the consultation, well, generally speaking, I think that's a fine thing. Um, it's nice to know that they wanted to do that. Um, I would argue from a clinical perspective that you should, to a degree, always act as if you are being recorded. You know, how much of an issue genuinely is that? I would never say something to a patient I wouldn't want repeated back to me. Um, I think that's a, a sensible place to be practicing medicine from and actually has benefits in terms of defending me as well, in terms of if the patient was to make something like a vexatious complaint and stuff. Um, and I think there are benefits to that. I know there is definitely some legal aspects of recording consultations, particularly things like telephone and video consultations that have to be recognized. And particularly when it comes to things like subject access requests, etc., can become more complicated because, for example, under GDPR, patients are allowed access to all information that is held about them. And that includes recordings of consultations. Now, there is the challenge that could we maintain a recording of everything all the time? Mm. That's a logistical challenge that many companies I don't think are built to face, and particularly for video aspects, um, is going to be a real challenge because the size of the data transfer that's going to come with that will be so significant that realistically, practices do not have the ability to store that. So many places will have things like we have keep the recordings for 21 days or something similar like that, you know, a time frame for which they do have the ability to keep those recordings. This has clearly been more relevant in recent times for general practice because of the new RCA assessment done by the RCGP, um, because that is a recorded video consultation or telephone consultation that's then used as part of the assessment for the trainees, and they may need to be kept for a longer period of time whilst that trainee is undergoing their assessment period. If you're interested in learning more about that, do check out my other video about the RCA process that I've done um, in combination with Dr. Jonathan Rial, who works with the RCGP and 14 Fish to help produce this recently. Um, but, you know, so there are regulations and rules you have to abide by. I guess the ultimate thing is what happens if you're still unhappy about being recorded? Well, I think there needs to be an open discussion with patients about being recorded. Um, one of the things that we have in our practice is that we actually have a patient social media policy within that it does actually state that we do not accept that patients should record us without our consent and i think you know it is important that practices explore whether that's something they want to have for themselves you know should you have um, some sort of policy or guidance for patients in terms of what is and is not appropriate to be doing with regards particularly social media but also recording of other individuals within the practice environment because, for example, you know, patients may decide to record another patient. What if somebody was to collapse and they would start recording them in that situation? It happens all the time. We see that on Twitter, on YouTube, you know, these kind of things happening. And actually, there's a dignity element in there. And whilst, you know, the practice does have some responsibility in terms of safeguarding that person's dignity, you know, simply saying to the person, please stop. We have a part, you know. And if they don't, well, we have a policy that you shouldn't be doing this if you're a member of this practice as being registered with us. And having that at least is a starting point to actually say to people, actually, don't do this. Similarly, many more practices have gone to using social media to engage with um, people in terms of you know, the practice populations and stuff and having a policy that also feeds into how those patients engage with the practice through its social media places, you know, is also important. But then what about covert recording itself? So, you know, if a patient was to record you without your consent to do so, you know, without the intent of, um, you know, explaining it and what can they do with that? Well, as I said, there's no legal recourse to stop them. Um, however, there is a, a rider that comes with that. That comes up until the point that the patient keeps that for themselves. 
The moment they make that public, so for example, sharing that on social media sites, sharing that more publicly, like giving it to the newspaper and stuff, that is where it changes because that is potentially sharing information that is not just about them because obviously the clinician is involved in that and you're sharing that without the clinician's consent. Um, in terms of what you, the abilities, practices and stuff have to, uh, you know, in terms of challenging that, so the BMA document does have some guidance for people in terms of how you can do that with structured letters and that kind of stuff. So, you know, if you did want to, where are we? A little bit, here we are, template letter um, that I've already expanded, so you can have a look at that. I'll leave that up there for a second. Um, it explains basically, you know, what practices can do um, and try to do in terms of suggesting to a patient um, I know many people out there would feel this is an absolute breakdown in trust and actually asking the patient to leave um, the practice as a result of that is the very least minimum in terms of doing so. I personally would agree with that. I think if a patient's got to the point where they feel they have to covertly record you, um, and, you know, with the intent that they have no absolute intention of telling you, then that says something about the relationship that they have with yourself or with the practice. Uh, and to be fair, if that's how they feel about things, then they should be. Um, you know, potentially looking for another practice to offer their care. Um, I would have no problem with the patient recording me with my consent. Um, I think that's open and transparent, just like as us, when we would want to record a patient, for example, for training, for other reasons and stuff, um, then that is completely appropriate that we consent and inform them that we're doing so and not do so covertly. So, you know, there is this element that needs to be considered. And I would suggest that many practices you know, explore having policies in terms of helping them to understand how to do that. If you are after some of that information, feel free to check out some of the information I have on this particular post that's coming up down below. Um, as you can see, it's trailing on there. So that's my post about how practices can use social media within their practices. And within that is um, a link to basically the practice social media policy I have for patients that you know, covers a lot of this in there. You know, what can you do if a patient refuses to remove a recording, uh, so this is the last part of the document. Well, there is some elements of breach of this in terms of the GDPR guidance and stuff. And uh, as far as I'm aware, we haven't got to a point where this has been actively used. Correct me if I'm wrong, feel free to do so. Mention it in the comments if I am wrong. I'm more than happy to be proven wrong and look at those kind of cases and stuff. Um, but clearly there is potentially some legal recourse, but then it's going down that process as well. I would clearly see that as a breach of the patient-doctor relationship. And at that point, yes, again, the patient may need to consider finding themselves another practice to be having their care from, because I cannot see how any patient would feel that that is an appropriate way to continue to engage with the practice. But what do you guys think? I mean, this is a an emotive area sometimes. It is um, a challenge, I think, for many practices in terms of navigating the newer world of technology than what it can do. And actually, you know, so many things are recorded that we don't even realize sometimes that, you know, it's so easy to do now with the, the prevalence of, you know, mobile phone devices and stuff being everywhere. It is so easy to record um, either, you know, a telephone consultation with somebody, a video consultation, you can put your screen share, you know, records on and stuff. That can be a way of doing that. As I said, I personally don't have an issue with being recorded. Um, I, I think it can be really positive and often have suggested to patients, why don't you record this part so you can share this with your um, relatives, with your friends, you know, you may need to keep this. Sending patients obviously copies of their documents has been a real value when they've needed to be admitted or going to further um, secondary care-based appointments and stuff um, and things. But it is a challenge and I know it's one that really is emotive to people at times. 
I think hopefully this has been a useful episode in terms of sharing with people about the concept of recording consultations. A couple of mentions in terms of what's coming up for the EGP learning over the next few weeks. We've got loads of things planned for you. So on Friday, we've got a system on Facebook users group um, online conference, which you are all more than welcome to join us. And we still have some tickets available. If you're interested in that, do check out the link down below that again has the link to that. In addition, next week, we've got our Digital First Providers Guide that's being chaired uh, by myself and Dr. Minal Bakai of NHS England uh, slash I, as we talk to six different providers about the, the way that they've been supporting general practice and comparing their systems. This is the only place you're going to see a live comparison of six Digital First Providers at the same time and the opportunity for you to ask them questions. So definitely engage with that. And then later in the week, got a few other presentations and stuff going live and as well as some work we're going with MLM in terms of um, how we can support locums and digital working and that kind of stuff as well. So loads and loads of content coming up. As a result of some of this, I'm afraid the, the, the digital primary care releases on Thursdays are going to be a little, little less sporadic, a little more sporadic, sorry, in terms of the next couple of weeks, just because we've got so much content coming out in other routes. As a result of that, that what I'm doing normally we do on a Thursday, I'm not going to be doing. Um, but then we will be back to normal publishing as usual. If you haven't checked out, do check out our episode on Saturday we just did with Andy um, in terms of appointments in general practice. Definitely something that's been um, interesting and emotive for many people to talk about and hear about and things so that episode on our youtube channel definitely worthwhile and stuff and feel free to check that out as well and i guess as always egp learning is here to help save you and your patient's time by tech enhancing your primary care and learning and we'll catch you in the next episode